Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Easter. Yes, we are so glad that you are here with us this morning. We don't take it lightly that you have taken some time out of your busy weekend. We know there's a lot of things going on from the egg hunts to food to gatherings to hanging out with friends. And so the fact that you are here, we are really excited and happy for that. Uh, If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm married to my beautiful wife, Shayna, and we have five kids Yes, you heard me right. We have five kids, and it is wild and crazy in the Sullivan house. It's also very loud and obnoxious, and we love it that way. And uh, what's crazy is when I first met my Shana, uh, we got married, and uh, shortly after we got married, we decided we wanted to have some kids, and we started trying, and there was a few years where we couldn't get pregnant at all. And we thought there was going to be a time where maybe we would never be able to have kids. And then finally, Shana came to me and said, we're pregnant. And we were excited. And we were celebrating. And we were getting ready. And it was really awesome. And I don't know if any of the guys can relate to this. But for me, it never really felt real. I mean, I saw her go through the struggle of pregnancy with the tiredness and the morning sickness and the hormone change and the body change and all of that. And I, and I knew that we were pregnant. And ladies, when I say we, I know my wife was pregnant, okay? so, But it just felt like we were kind of sitting in this place of limbo forever until it changed. You know that first night at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden the baby starts crying and it was like, what is that? Shana, what's that noise? Who's doing that? Oh wait, we have a baby. And it wasn't until reality sunk in and hit me square in the face that I recognized, oh wow, there's a big change in our house. I don't know if you can identify with that at all. Maybe you were an athlete when you were in high school or you played sports in college and then took a few years off and all of a sudden you decided to go back to the field or back onto the court. And in your mind, you said, let's go for it. And you went for it. And then your body was like, oof, I shouldn't have gone for it. Or maybe uh, summer was rolling around and you're thinking, okay, wow, it's, it's getting nice out. Let's go buy a boat. Let's go buy a motorcycle. Let's go on a trip. Let's go over here. And then you looked at your checking account and your savings account and you're like, oh yeah, we shouldn't go for it. Right? Reality set in. And that happens to us. And I think over the last few years, we've kind of been in this season where we've had to navigate all sorts of changes and go through all sorts of difficulties and reality has sunk in for us. And when that happens, oftentimes it will create doubts and it will cause us to ask certain questions. And maybe you've been there. Maybe over the last few years, you've asked, do I want this job anymore? Do I want to live in the state of New York anymore? Is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? But not only do we wrestle with those types of questions, but reality checks set in every single day. And we also face these spiritual reality checks. Maybe you ask questions like this. Do I want to believe this anymore? Do I want to give my time and my treasures and my talents to this anymore? And reality sets in, 
Doubts start to come. Questions start to come. And today I want to wrestle with one of the most important reality checks ever. And it has to do with the backing of your faith. So let me ask you, where's your faith resting on? Where's your faith banking on? For many of us, religious activities are really the backing of our faiths. For many of us, we go, okay, well, I go to church, or I read my Bible, or I pray, or I do really good things, and we're hoping that the good is going to outweigh the bad. And at the end, we're just going to go, okay, like my faith was strong. But there's a reality check that all of us have to deal with, and it It's coming across in the way of a question. And here's the question I want all of us to wrestle with today. It's the ultimate reality check. Is the resurrection true? Is the resurrection true? Or is it just a fairy tale? Is it just a scam? Is it just this story that makes us feel good around Easter time? Or is there actually something to it? And today I want to look at the validity and the impact of the resurrection. So if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can go there on your device or your phone. If you don't, we're going to put the text on the screen behind me. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let me give you a little bit of the context of what's going on there. See, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church in the city of Corinth. And there's some things going on in Corinth that you need to know about. First off, it's a port city, meaning people come and go from all over the world to Corinth. And they go there and they spend money and Corinth is a, has a healthy economy because of that. But it's also become a melting pot of people and cultures and religions and all sorts of different ideas. It's also a place that people would go to to take a break from morality And so Corinth was the original sin city. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. And all of a sudden, God begins to do a work in this city. There's a a church planted there, and God begins to do some things, and they are faced with this huge reality check of, is the resurrection actually true? And if it's true, then what? And so here we find 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me start reading. It says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And on that, he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So Paul says, look, it's all about the gospel. And then in verse 3, he goes on to explain this gospel. What is the gospel? He says, the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. But not only did he die, he was buried, 
and he was raised again. What is this idea of sin? This idea of sin is that, that you and I, we've, we've done something, right? It's this idea of missing the mark, right? It's like you pulled back your bow and you were not just missing by like an inch or two. You pulled back and you weren't even aiming at the right target. You were aiming at something completely different. And because of that sin, the Bible says that my sin separates me from God. And because it separates me from God, I deserve to spend eternity away from him. Tim Keller says that sin isn't only doing bad things, it's making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than God. Our sin separates us from God. It separates us from the creator. And on that cross, God the Father treated Jesus as if he lived your life and my life. And when he died on the cross, God the Father treats you and me as if we lived his life. And he died for your sins, for my sins, and he made forgiveness possible for every single one of us. He died on that cross. He was buried into that tomb, and he rose again. That's the gospel. And Paul's going back to that. He's saying, this is the gospel that you were saved by. This is the gospel that saves but we need to wrestle with the validity of the resurrection. Like you might be here today, you might be going, come on, Tim. Are you really, are you really that naive? Like you're really buying into this coming back from the dead thing? Like Jesus did this? I thought that was just the movies. Today, I just want to share one piece of evidence that proves the resurrection. And there's hundreds of pieces of evidence that we could go through. But today, I just want to share one. Think about you trying to go into a courtroom and prove something. How would you go about doing that? Typically, you'd find some witnesses, right? You'd bring in those witnesses and you'd find some people that were there. And you'd say, hey, what did you see? What did you experience? Tell me about that. What did you see? What did you say? What happened there? Explain everything. And then you would see these witnesses and they would tell their story. They would share their experience. And from that, you would be able to gather whether or not something actually happened or not. Right? There's eyewitnesses to an account. And here, Paul is talking about how many people Jesus came back to and appeared to. It says that he appeared to over 500 people. That's incredible. That's a big deal because this letter was written around 25 years after Jesus died. Meaning hundreds of people were still around when this letter was written. Hundreds of people could have shown up and said, hold on, hold on, hold on. I was there. I remember that. That's not how it went down. And nobody did that. Not only that, but if you follow the journey of many of the first century disciples of Jesus, many of them were tortured and killed for what they believed. That's incredible. Because you have hundreds of people willing to lay down their lives and suffer and be tortured for the fact that 
Jesus really did die, and Jesus really did come back to life. Jesus really did appear to hundreds of people. There's not one person in history that I can think of who has ever been willing to die for something that they knew was a lie. And so to me, this is really good evidence that there really was a resurrection, that it really did happen. But the question is, what does that mean for your life? What does that mean for my life? Does it offer any hope? Does it bring any purpose? So what? Let's take a look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, But Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. But notice in verse 20, he says, but Christ. Those two words, but Christ, change everything. I was absolutely hopeless, but Christ. My life was meaningless, but Christ. Man, Tim, I felt like I was at the end of my rope. I was just completely out of gas, discouraged, overwhelmed, but Christ. I was lost, but Christ. See, Jesus came, and he died, and he paid for all of our sins, and he changed everything. Because he died, he brought hope into the world. Because he came back alive, hope never dies. And that's a big deal. That's why we celebrate Easter. You see, when when Adam and Eve first sinned, that had this trickle-down effect. It had this domino effect where sin went down to their kids and went down to their kids, went down to their kids, eventually passed down to you and I. You and I are are spring-loaded to sin. We we don't have a choice. It's just built into our DNA now. And Jesus came and he died on the cross and he purchased us out of that sin, out of that darkness, out from that lifestyle. And he made forgiveness possible. But just as though sin came into the world through Adam, hope and victory and life comes through Jesus. Jesus went on to defeat sin He went on to defeat death, and he paved the way so you and I could have forgiveness and freedom and hope. But notice what happens next in verse 50. Paul says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all... We would not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. Uh, There's something great going on here. You can clap for that. That word flash is the word Adam. Right? Not the name, but the, the smallest molecule, the smallest unit of measure that can't be divided at all. 
in that short of time, in the future, there is going to be a trumpet. There's going to be a sound. And there's going to be a future event where Jesus comes back. And if you're a follower of Jesus, everything will be changed. Your perishable body will be changed. Later in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, it talks about how one day there's going to come a day when there's no more sin, no more tears, no more pain. All of that will be wiped away and changed. It's incredible that there is a, there's a transformation that takes place when you decide to follow Jesus. The reality is, you and I, we have hope because the resurrection promises complete transformation. That there's, a, there's a complete transformation that's going to take place. But before that takes place, there's a different transformation that happens. That when you come to Jesus and you ask Jesus to be your forgiver and leader of your life, when you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, he enters into your life and he wipes away all of that sin. The Bible says that you become a new creation. The Bible talks about God looking at you and seeing you as white as snow. That's the first transformation that God will radically transform your lives. But this is a reality check that we need. That when it hits us square in the face, it should cause you to ask some questions. It should cause you to wrestle with some of these things. But the reality is, you and I, we can have hope. And the resurrection of Jesus should bring some transformation to your life. It has the hope and power to radically change your life. But notice what he says next in verse 53. He says, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Right? Your body is perishable. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's kind of breaking down. It's got some aches. It's got some pains. My body is not like my kids, right? We go to bed 10, 1030, and my kids are like 1030 at night. They're in their bedrooms. They're in their beds, and they're just like, blah, 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 blah. Hi, daddy, right? They're just having a blast. You're just like, go to bed, right? And then around dark 30, they're up, and they're like, all right, let's play Legos. Okay, can we do a puzzle? Can we go outside? Can we play baseball? And you're just like, Go back to bed, right? I don't have the energy that my kids do. My body is perishable. You have these aches and you have these pains, but eventually God is going to give you a new body. It's going to be imperishable. There's going to be a radical transformation that happens for those who follow Jesus. But that's not all. Later, Paul chants about this incredible victory that happens through the resurrection. Take a look at verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Paul is taunting death because he knows the power of the resurrection. He knows that Jesus conquered death. He knows that Jesus conquered sin. So he's saying, okay, death, where are you at? 
Death, come at me. Death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? You've got nothing. Because if you're a follower of Jesus and you've asked Jesus to be your forgiver and leader of your life, you can know that death has no more power over you. Now I get it. Some of you have lost loved ones this year. And that brings a lot of pain and heartache into your life. And the the mere thought of dying can bring fears and worries. And I'm not making light of that at all. I know for many of you, you live with fear and worry and panic. You wake up and it's staring you in the face. And it stays with you throughout the whole day and it just seems to never go away. You go to bed and those fears and those worries continue to run in through your minds. But I want you to know that the resurrection has power to transform that part of your life. And next Sunday, we're starting a brand new series called I Quit. You heard about it in the feed. It's called I Quit Being Afraid. It's, it's this four-week series about handing in your resignation to fear and worry. And we're going to deal with that. So I want you to come back next Sunday as we talk about fear and worry. But the reality is Easter is the day that death died. Easter is the day that death was defeated. And here's the second thing. You and I, we have hope because the resurrection defeated death. Meaning if you're a follower of Christ, you don't have to be afraid of death because you know you're going to spend eternity with Jesus. Death has been defeated. But not only did the resurrection defeat death, take a look at what else happened. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. Therefore, right, in light of everything that Paul has just said, therefore, my brothers and sisters, if you're a follower of Jesus, stand firm, right? Find your place, be seated, be fixed, and let nothing move you. Be immovable. And always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And when God created each and every single one of you, he did it with purpose. Your life has purpose. Your life has meaning. God coded that into you, hardwired you with purpose. He designed you to do that. So if you're here today and you're wondering, is my life absolutely meaningless? Paul would say, no, it's not meaningless. It's filled with purpose. And he's saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, stand firm, be immovable, give yourselves to the things that Jesus is doing. Here's the third thing I want you to see, that we have hope because the resurrection gives today purpose. It gives today purpose. And the reality is the resurrection of Jesus can radically change your life. It gives us hope, it changes our life, and it gives us purpose. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to hear from a guy named Bob. We're going to show his story in just a minute. 
And so take a look at what Bob has to say. Years ago, I had a problem with drinking. Well, that didn't get me anywhere. Matter of fact, this got me into a lot of trouble, a lot of expense. And uh, eventually, I went to AA. They talk about your higher power. But to me, my it's God. I asked God to save Mike, you know, and he did. He saved me from the alcoholism. That was before I think I was saved. I really accepted him into my life, and that was around 2006. God is in control of my life. I let him come into my life. I mean, he's taken a lot of things, a lot of my bad habits away from me, and he's, he's made me a better person, you know? It's not the things that I do to make me better in God's eyes. God makes me better through his grace. And I do good things because of the grace he has shown me. I do good things, well, because I want to, but because he's in me. I have him guiding me. It's like having my dad there guiding me. It's powerful, man, it's real powerful. This has um, been both a uh, trying but a very, very good past couple years. And the reason is I was diagnosed with prostate cancer and I went to Johns Hopkins and had it removed. But um, apparently they didn't get all of it. And as a result, it spread. One night I went to go get up to uh, go to the bathroom and it felt like somebody stabbed me in the back. It turned out I had three fractured vertebrae and a fractured pelvis. Of, um, cancer spread into that area of the bones and I have it in different areas. So I'm just doing my thing and um, praying and taking care of my wife and praying for my family. To me, I found out the past couple years that the most important choice a person can make in their life is whether or not to accept Jesus Christ as their savior. But on the other hand, if you say, hey, I can do these things myself. I don't need Jesus. I don't need God. You know, maybe I have Buddha or something, or I believe in the, you know, the trees or whatever, but that's not gonna save your soul. You know, there's only one person that was crucified, died, and came back to life. And if that never happened, I'd be a fool. But I'm no fool, because it happened. And I have faith and belief, and I know that someday, my wife and I are gonna have better bodies, Looking good, we're going to be saying, good morning, Jesus. Hey, Moses, how, what's happening? You know, hey, Mom, hey, Dad. Hey, there's Billy over here, your cousins. Oh, it, it's going to be good. But the only thing is, you got to believe it. You got to have faith. You have to go 
right to the engineer, the person, the guy who made the machine. Who made us? God made us. So he knows how to fix us. Everybody has their ups and downs. And being a Christian, we have our trials. But just knowing in your heart, I don't worry about things. I know I have these problems. I let the doctor and God take care of them. I just follow the orders. I don't worry. God is in control. Changed my life. Changed yours. So you know what's really cool about Bob is um, he's celebrating this Easter in his new body. He passed away a week, week and a half ago, Pastor Jeff was just telling me. And I just thought that was powerful to speak to for a second because while it's sad to be here, right, it's sad for who he's left behind and his loved ones, it just, it just goes to show that we have a hope. It doesn't matter what you brought in here with you this morning. You leave it at the foot of the cross. Jesus will run to you and meet you where you're at. Can you guys rise with us as we sing?